0: Susan, Butcher Box to the rescue. The other night, we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thawed out some chicken from Butcher Box and made the best Cocoa Van that we've had in a long, long time.
1: Yeah, you'd have been screwed without Butcher Box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true, I don't have time to go shop for
0: meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low priced meat, so ButcherBox does all of that for me.
1: So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates.
0: (laughs) I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too.
1: ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans.
0: It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood.
1: There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks.
0: Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional 20% off.
1: Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus get $20 off
2: your first order. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's Proof Sidebar. We're here this week with Jacinda Davis and Kevin Fitzpatrick to discuss episode 11 of our series on Kane's story and Lee Clark. Hey, guys. Hey, Susan. How are you? Susan. Doing good. So this week we talked about the Freebirds and whether or not they actually exist. When you guys started the story, what was your take on the Freebirds?
0: I never thought there was a gang called the Freebirds. And I can't tell you why. It just seems so far-fetched to me. I always thought it was either a band, like a garage band, or just a group of kids middle schoolers, high school age kids who called themselves the Freebirds.
3: From what I knew about the story initially, I thought it sounded a little far-fetched that they were an actual gang. And I took it more like maybe they were like a a little rascals gang or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then when I met Glenn Clark and June Story, when I met the parents, that even more solidified that sort of take for me. I just didn't buy that it was an actual gang in, in the way that we understand the term now.
1: Yeah, there are groups of boys in Rome in that time period, I'm sure still now, who would like call themselves gangs or you'd see people like in a housing complex. The boys there would come together and be like, oh, we're the gang at, at you know X block or whatever. When I first looked at this case, I first heard about it and read one of the appeals decision online, I assumed that's what was going on here. And then I talked to Lee, he's like, no, that whatever the freebirds were, it didn't involve me. And Lee thought it was like, kind of the same as you just, Jacinda, like a garage band or something, or just some of the other boys called themselves that. But whatever it was, he hadn't been one of them.
3: Yeah, I mean, I always had the the sense that it was a uh, the term "gang" got carried away somehow, or it was a convenient term for the prosecution or the
1: police. Yeah, and still not exactly clear whether a group of boys ever called themselves the Freebirds outside the context of a never came together like garage band but what is clear is that there's no gang in the sense of boys swearing loyalty to one another and vowing to murder each other if they break their treasured gang rules that that didn't happen.
0: You know, I think one of the things, Susan, about this episode, we had not really talked about before is the idea that if you are in a gang or let's take it, you know, bring it back a little bit. You're not even in a gang. You're just a tight knit group of friends who plotted to do this. You would actually have to hang out together and be friends with each other.
1: Yeah. You'd have to actually meet each other at least once. Like in the case of Joseph Wilkins and Pete Jordan. They didn't even know each other beyond that one day for the safe theft. They weren't even friends, let alone, like, best buddies.
0: Yeah, so it would be hard to uh, pledge your loyalty to someone you've met one time. Yeah. I do like the story, though, about Kane and Lee walking through the cemetery and a bird landing on Kane's foot. There's just something very childlike and innocent about that story and how they responded to it. You know, if Lee's right and they're, like, 11 years old, or, you know, Cain thought they were a little bit older, but that story kind of resonated to me about their boyhood in Rome.
1: When Kane told me that story, I had an image in my head of, you know, the saying like a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon and there's a tornado in Kansas. Yes.
0: It sets off a chain of events that leads to disaster.
1: Yeah. So in this case, you have a random bird that happens to land on a boy and sets off a chain of events that leads to the two boys there serving life in prison.
3: The sort of idyllic start didn't sort of carry through for those two.
1: Mm-hmm. And it had been a while since I started talking to Lee Clark before I realized that even Lee Clark and Kane's story, who were and are close friends, they also weren't like the backbone of a gang, or their friendship was not the kind of close friendship I've been imagining. Because they, they were childhood friends, they grew up together, their parents knew one another, their mothers are still friends today. But... By the time all this was going on, they weren't hanging out together a lot. They were maybe every other month seeing each other. They were still friends and all, but it was not the kind of friendship that sort of holds up the narrative that the prosecution's going with.
0: Their lives were very different at this point. Lee had dropped out of high school. He had a girlfriend he was living with. He was working. He was paying his rent. When he could, you know, and Kane is still going to high school and performing with the school band, so their lives are very different at this point, and you can see how they're kind of growing apart and, and going their separate ways.
1: And Kane is also was sort of my impression, immature relatively. I mean, they all were, but but so Kane is seventeen when they go to trial, and Lee is same age as Kane, but Brian and Joseph and some of the other boys in this case, they were fifteen. They were two grades below. Lee was never really hanging with them one-on-one anyway. They were his little brother's age, like his little brother's friends. So they'd hang out, sure, but they weren't tight. It was Kane who had the tight friendships with the younger boys.
0: And those boys lived over there near Brian, so, you know. Yeah, they all
1: lived close together. They were all right there, including Tommy Hyde, who we heard about this episode. And Tommy Hyde seems to have played sort of a background role in this case from the start. And that he was telling people very early on, according to Brian's family, that he thought Lee Clark could have somehow been involved in Brian's death. And then at some point, it's really not clear when, but after the trial, certainly, Tommy starts telling people, um, including Brian's family, about the story about how some night, he'd, he's not really clear when, but like maybe like days or weeks before Brian's death, he and Brian had gotten drunk at Brent Forsyth's house. And Lee and Kane came over, pulled nine millimeters on them and like fired them in the back of their heads, but the guns were empty. There's no explanation for why they would have done this or what was the cause of it. And if this really had happened, there should be some corroborating evidence, and it's just not there.
0: And it's not something that was used at trial either. This is a story right, that came out at some point, but it wasn't anything that was used to prosecute or convict Lee or Kane.
1: No, but it made a big impact on Brian's friends and family. And as we... Also found out, although I initially had not thought that the police had ever spoken to Tommy Hyde, they had. They had interviewed him. And the contents of that interview have never been shared. Um, There's no record of it. We don't know what exactly he told them. And Tommy's the only person I've spoken to still who said, oh, yeah, the Freebirds were real. And I was kind of maybe sort of part of it. He says he moved out of the cemetery area before it became real or something. So it's not the timeline's kind of fuzzy. But he said he was going to be part of it before he moved. So it's possible, too, that like the cemetery boys that lived right there did have they did call themselves this or something like that. Um, but again, that would not have involved Lee, who didn't live in Silver Creek and was not hanging out with them a lot of that time period. And even if they had called Tommy Hyde at trial, they would have asked him, like, did you guys have a rule book that had rules about what to do? And he had been like, no, <laughs> of course, that didn't happen.
0: Right. Because he told you there was no rule book that he knew of.
1: Tommy said that there was no rule book and he laughed at the idea. He thought it was really funny. <laughs> he, he told me, he was like, that's like the kind of crap Floyd County would make up if they had to go to jury trial and need to convict someone. Yeah. So he knew exactly what that was.
0: One of the interesting things about this case is that there's all kinds of stories or rumors or myths, whatever you want to call it. And it seems like we can trace the origin or they actually do exist. The rule book. Was it a song book? Was it a book of lyrics? Was there a gang called the Freebirds? Well, maybe it was a bird that landed. Like there's some element of truth in all of these things. And I find it really interesting to kind of unravel what the truth is compared to what people have come to believe now.
3: The only thing of certainty that I've been able to take for a long time is that I do believe a bird landed on his foot. It's about the only thing of certainty I've taken for a long time.
1: Yeah. I almost wondered if, if this thing really happened, would Lee even recall that it occurred? And I asked him, I was just, Hey, so just wondering, did the bird ever land on you? And he's like, Oh yeah, I do recall that. It made an impression on both boys. It seems, even though Lee was unaware, that's sort of how Kane got this personal mantra of we're free as a bird. Um, but one thing that all the boys in this case seem pretty consistent on is uh, the word narcs, which I found interesting. That's a you know a key word in this case. That's apparently the proof that that's why Brian was killed. But all of them told us that the word narcs was not in the vocabulary. Even they're trying to explain that concept or describe someone doing that, they would never say narcs. They'd say snitch maybe, something like that. But this word, wherever it came from, does not seem to have been the vocabulary of the boys in Silver Creek.
0: Speaking of narc, Susan, how surprised were you when you got a phone call from uh, Joseph Wilkins?
1: I was pretty surprised because I had tried really hard for a long time and I was pretty sure he was never going to call because I knew when I talked to his mother that he knew I was trying to reach him and he still didn't reach back out. So
0: We were planning to go try to find him, whatever it took, if we had to. But I know that you and and me and Kevin, the three of us, We talked about this kid for a long time. Like, how could no one have interviewed him? How could he have not testified? He's so key to the story because I don't think anyone disputes that he drew the note, the weed eagle, and put it in the coffin. Um, What is at question is whether or not he drew the narcs and crossed it out. And um, it's really shocking that, you know, we're kind of the first people to talk to him.
1: Except we're not, most likely. (laughs) um i i still think there's more how about
0: the first people on record to talk the, to him?
1: yes the first people on record to talk to him um and even at trial when this comes up you can like the judge is you can tell from the transcript he is really surprised and a little bit befuddled um because you know they're going through witnesses they're calling them and at some point they start discussing the, the gang stuff and like the free birds and he's like but you're going to call the boy who drew this note right and the prosecutor's like let me decide that. And the judge is like, okay, but that's that's kind of weird, right? <laughs> that you're not going to call him? And then he asks, like, well, you did talk to him, right? And the prosecutor's like, I don't remember.
0: I mean, that's such a huge red flag, even for the defense attorneys. They should have talked to him, too. They could have talked to him.
1: And it seems like at least Kane's attorneys subpoenaed him for trial, um, or someone did. But I don't understand why? I mean, I understand why the prosecution might have not wanted him up there. If they think that possibly he did not write the narks on that note, then, yeah, they're going to stay the hell away from calling him a trial. But then why isn't the defense calling him up there? Are they scared he's going to confirm, like, he's going to be like, yeah, we were in a gang? Or, like, what, what was the – why not at least talk to him and find out what he would say before deciding not to call him? And it is bizarre, and it makes no sense. And I think, in reality, he was – some an important piece of this case from the very beginning because we know that there was police at the school the day after Brian's funeral. Um, there's a lot of suggestion that it was about Joseph Wilkins. His mother told me it was about him um, and his connection to this case. And it's nearly inconceivable to me that the police didn't actually talk to him at that time.
0: It's not clear what the incident at the school was, but there was something about him saying needing protection, or maybe he would need protection, which indicated to me that if the gang theory could have happened earlier than we suspected, and they thought he would be the next one targeted, or maybe I'm just reading in too much about what he meant by someone asked me if I needed protection.
1: See, that's my guess as well. Joseph says he does not recall a lot of this. Um, He does not remember the police being there or exactly what the concerns were. And from his point of view, he was 15, like this horrible thing happened. Um, suddenly, he's yanked out of school and sent across the state to somewhere else. His whole life is upended. His parents definitely are concerned for him and trying to protect him, but from what we're not entirely sure. And also at the same time, in the newspapers, you've got lots of quotes from the investigators, and they're like, "Yeah, all kinds of crazy ass rumors are going around town. Ha ha! The community is really upset about these bizarre rumors, which they don't actually spell out. But someone somewhere is telling the police about some very strange and weird rumors that have everyone upset." So, yeah, there's still, once again, more questions than answers about a lot of what went on in this investigation. But what is clear is that if they'd actually called some of these people at trial, the ones that should have mattered a lot to the case, things would look very different.
0: Yeah. It seems from what the conversation is now with Joseph, you know, if he had said the same things he said to you back then, it'd be a very different outcome. Yeah.
3: The big thing is, since the beginning, since we first heard about this story, to me, that that drawing placed in the coffin was this crucial piece of evidence one way or another. Like, whoever drew that, whoever put narcs on it, whoever put it in the coffin, like, it was always this big thing. They must know a lot. That must tell you a lot about what actually happened. It's his drawing, but he didn't write narcs. And that's a huge part of the story right there. Yeah.
1: But he did write Freebirds, which... Is an indication that freebirds mattered to someone in this case. So one thing that Joseph did not come outright and tell me is that his motivation for drawing the note, the the message to Brian that says, you know, we'll miss you, fly high, see you at the crossroads with the freebirds banner. It was a gesture from himself, yes, but it was also on behalf of his better friend Cain's story. Cain couldn't go to the funeral, and Cain had been extremely close to Brian. Um, Joseph and Brian were sort of friends, but they, you know, they'd hung out, you know, half dozen times, smoked together. They were friends, yes, but they weren't super close. And the way Joseph explained it to me, it kind of made sense why he would have done this. It, it wasn't because he himself necessarily would have done it on his own, but he knew that Cain couldn't be there, and he wanted to leave something in Cain's honor, almost.
0: Yeah. Have you had a chance to ask Cain if he knew Joseph was doing that for
1: him? Well, it's not clear when he learned about Joseph having drawn this, Um, because, again, Joseph and Cain did hang out like seven months later uh, the following summer. So it's hard to know when they learned about various things. Um, Also worth noting, Cain, after being charged with murder, was released on bond. Uh, Lee was not given bond for reasons still aren't clear to me today. But Kane was. So up until trial even through trial, he was still free still working summer job for a little bit um, and was out and about which is how he saw Joseph Wilkins when they were driving to Pajangles together. And when apparently Dallas Battle saw them driving there together. Um, yeah, I mean
0: it's very clear that if anyone had wanted to question or find Joseph, they could have.
1: Yes. they they the Dallas Battle permanently chose not to speak to Wilkins on the record.
0: And just to remind listeners, and you know, there's a lot of information in all of these episodes. um, But Joseph Wilkins apparently asked Deborah Bowling, Brian's mother, if he could put something in the coffin and even showed her the drawing. Um, And she agreed to it. She said, yes, he could do that.
1: And she testifies at trial that she even saw the narcs written on it. And she told him, oh, it's a lovely drawing, go ahead and put it in. But that if she'd seen the narcs, would she have done that? Um, also interesting, a trial when Cain gets on the stand and testifies, the prosecutor's asking him, like, was Brian a narc? And he's like, I wouldn't even use the word narcs. The only people I've ever heard use the word narcs was Brian's parents.
3: I wonder if she would even remember seeing the narcs thing on
2: never room. I mean, but... Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're... it's pretty small. And
0: you're so traumatized and dealing with everything going on, you know, chances are she just glanced at it and wouldn't have noticed every detail.
3: That's right. I mean,
0: I looked at it 200 times and never picked out that Brian's name is misspelled on it until someone pointed it out.
1: Oh, she mentioned that. So there's another theory, too, from some people in the case. Um, On the note, it's it's addressed to Brian, so, you know, fly high, we'll miss you. But Brian is spelled B-R-A-I-N. And some of Brian's family thought that this was another sort of calling card or
0: proof that he had been shot in the head intentionally.
1: Yeah. And it was the boys, the freebirds' way of bragging. They shot Brian in his brain.
3: I don't know. Sounds sort of presumptuous to me, but.
1: Yeah. And I asked Joseph about it and he said that was just, he has to assume that was a typo. He doesn't remember spelling it wrong, but he was kind of shocked by that, Um, but he didn't remember misspelling at all.
3: Was there anything when you were talking to him that you, you sort of had pause or you just didn't believe him?
1: You know, I at this point, we don't have any records, so I can't say exactly what went on back then. Um, I will say I am not entirely convinced by his lack of memory about what happened very early on with the police investigation. Um, his mother recalled it pretty well, but he says he did not. But he was also pretty clear that like, this was like a really traumatic thing for him. And he has been carrying around guilt that maybe there was something he could have done or should have done. And he says that he was asking people like, this is not right, what do I do? And all the adults in his life are telling him, don't rock the boat, just stay out of it, which he did. But I definitely got the sense that he has a lot of regrets over that. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers local papers all over the country trying to track down some scrap of info from, I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example.
0: <laughs> hypothetical. But the problem is, we always forget to cancel those subscriptions.
1: Luckily, there's a solution. People like us who sometimes lose track of things. And that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds
0: and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings.
1: With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses.
0: Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you.
1: That's amazing. That's, that's all I want in life, is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion, and saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features.
0: So, stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/proof.
1: That's rocketmoney.com/proof. rocketmoney.com/proof
0: Susan, it's no secret that I have been taking Nutrafol and loving it for a few months now. Susan, have you gotten your Nutrafol yet?
1: I finally did. I'm on the Nutrafol train and I'm really excited because, not going to lie, my hair's been a hot mess this whole season.
0: I think this season has impacted both of our hair in not great ways.
1: Our sanity, our health, and definitely like ripping hair out in frustration sometimes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But thankfully, Nutrafol is there to help.
1: Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding.
0: Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology.
1: Take the hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes.
0: Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code
1: PROOF. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. NutriFol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code PROOF. That's Nutrafol.com. Promo code PROOF.
3: you know if he's telling the truth about not writing marks on there it's a very different tale that we had
1: yeah um and that does of course raise the question of who did write it um but Jacinta and kevin i know you guys have been very busy lately working on an exciting new project very busy is an
0: understanding
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: yeah kevin do you want to explain it
3: well, so Jacinda and I have been working on a seven-part series um, that will air on Investigation Discovery and Stream on Discovery Plus starting on Sunday the 22nd. Seven hours that are be played over three nights. And we have been working on this project for a year, actually more than a year. It's about a year and a half. And we've been sort of really pushing the last few months to sort of get it done. And it's uh, it's about the... The murder of the McStay family, a uh, family of four in California, and the trial of Chase Merritt for their murders. It's a pretty extraordinary story about a missing family, and if this man is guilty, when they turn up dead. And so it's taken a lot out of us. When you say Jacinda,
0: I I would say yes, it has taken a lot out of us. It's a case that. Um, when the family first went missing back in 2010, it, you know, it became headline news around the world. For whatever reasons, this case touched a lot of people. It was maybe two young children were murdered and, you know, their mom and dad. And at the time, no one knew what happened. They, they just went missing. They literally just disappeared off the face of the earth.
1: And the official story seems to be from the police that they went to Mexico.
0: Right. They thought they had um, voluntarily left or, you know, voluntarily went missing. So one of the
3: things that I think sort of spurns such interest in the story is that they weren't found for almost four years. So it allowed for people to speculate about their fate. And we all know that people love a good sort of conspiracy theory. Right. So that sort of spun out of control, I think. And then when they were finally found... Um, that created a whole new set of conspiracy theories as to who could have done it and why. Um, so it's a very interesting tale to say nothing of the fact that that um, this project we we've got coming out had cameras in the courtroom. And so you can see the tension and the hostility that existed between the prosecution and the defense and the family members. And it is an intense sort of American crime story that I think people will find very interesting. There's a lot of tension and a lot of passion for the people involved.
1: Yeah. The interpersonal dynamics in this case are pretty wild.
3: Yeah. Um, I I think it's safe to say that, (laughs) that a lot of people involved in the case do not like each other. Um, even people who are members of the same family. Um, I think that this is a story that damaged a lot of relationships for the survivors. And it put a lot of people and their families in crisis, either fighting for their innocence or trying to prove someone's guilt or fighting over someone's legacy. And it it is a story about how a crime can really impact a large group of people and a story about how people will do anything to prove guilt and innocence
1: and it probably won't be as big a draw for everyone else, but there's also some pretty interesting cell phone evidence involved. <laughs> yeah. My priorities. Yeah, we, we debated
3: on whether or not to bring Susan on as a consultant <laughs> for the cell phone evidence. Well, stuff.
1: you would need three more episodes just to cover that. So. I know, I was gonna say, we didn't wanna make it
0: a 20 hour series. <laughs> Susan yeah. analyzing every single <laughs> ping on every cell tower out in California.
3: Yeah, and look, we've, we've tried to do the show in a way that, that, that sort of fairly presents both sides we 're hoping that the, the audience will will sort of come to some of their conclusions as to what they think happened and, and guilt or innocence it's an extraordinary story. I was surprised at how deep it went when it first sort of was first brought to us and we were asked if we wanted to produce it I guess I didn't realize how rich it was and as we started to get into it, it's like boy you can't even really tell this in six seven hours i mean there's there's so much here and there's there's so many hard feelings and there's so much evidence and so much interpretation of the evidence. It's a, it's a compelling story. And um, I think I'm pretty sure that there were a couple of times where Jacinda was ready to retire while we were making this.
0: (laughs) There were many times during this process. I thought I should retire.
3: (laughs) And, And I will tell you actually, while we're recording this right now, the final master is being sort of loaded as we speak, right? Like it's, this is like, we're still working on this.
1: <laughs> well, I've been hearing about it uh, in the background for like a year now. So I'm excited to see the final product.
0: I'm excited to uh, hear what you think of it, Susan. And you know, money laundering, still think that. <laughs> <laughs> and we can answer any questions about Two Shallow Graves as well on next week's Sidebar. So I hope everyone checks it out it's this Sunday, May 22nd, on ID and streaming on Discovery+. Plus.
3: Yeah. Um. All right, what's what's on next week's proof
0: angela bruce angela bruce the woman who uh had the party and says she heard kane and lee confess i think a lot of people have been waiting a long time here to hear what she has to say
3: well i look forward to that because i know that there's some amazing stuff there so i think the audience is going to enjoy that
1: Well, that's it for this week's Proof Sidebar. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back on Monday with Episode 12. If you have any questions for future Sidebar episodes, don't forget to send them our way through email, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. On all social media, we are Proof Crime Pod. You can find me on Twitter at TheViewFromL2, and on Instagram at soo And you can now find Jacinda on Instagram, too, at JacindaProof.